The following message is a presentation from Grace Baptist Church in Kettering, Ohio. Well, as Pastor said, I get to work with the youth here. I've been privileged to grow up in church, and uh, we had a bus ministry uh, growing up. lasted about two years, not very long, but I got to see what a bus ministry was like. I got to um, work with the children. When I first came here in 2012, I got to work with some of the children. I think it was Master's Club at the time, uh, now with Adventure Kids. We got to work with the kids. You have to work with some of the young, the young, young ones. You know, when you work with the young, young ones, you know, they're excited. They're four years old now, so they get to ride the bus with brother and sister because they just got, just got old enough. And you get to work with the little ones, and you kind of see the wheels trying to turn. Like, are they understanding this? Are they getting this? Is this over their head? Are they tuning me out? Are they thinking about something else? And then you kind of get to the kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, like, okay, they're actually responding. You're getting some feedback here. You're seeing the wheels turn. They're connecting the dots, you know, and you get to fourth, fifth, and sixth grade, and you see them all. They're actually engaging in conversation. They're telling you the story and teaching you kind of, and you get to the teenagers, and you're back to square one. Are they, are, this, are they getting this? Are they tuning me out right now? I mean, are they, you know, it's over their head or something? Or they're probably thinking about this girl or that boy or food or whatever. Anyways... <laughs> Let's go ahead and take our Bibles and stand. I've been looking forward to the opportunity to preach tonight. Stand and take your Bibles. 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. Give you a moment to turn there. First Samuel 16, we'll read the first 13 verses. The Bible says in the verse number 1, the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil and go. I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take an heifer with thee, and say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord. And call Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show thee what thou shalt do. And thou shalt anoint unto me him whom I name unto thee. And Samuel did that which the Lord spake, and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming, and said, Comest thou peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves. And come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons, and called them to the sacrifice. And it came to pass, when they were come, that he looked on Eliab, and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not at his countenance, or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart." Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. And Jesse made Shema to pass by. And he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. And Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. Samuel said unto Jesse, The Lord hath not chosen these. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, 
for we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and withal a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of the oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Today I'd like to preach to you a message with this title. God's astonishing, exclusive, yet baffling provision. God's astonishing, exclusive, yet baffling provision. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today to ask your help as I preach. May you give me clarity of thought and speech. Help me to say exactly what you once said and hold back that which you do not once said. Work in our midst today. Meet with us. Change us. Uh, help us to apply these truths from your word to our lives. And only because they're from your word can we take them and apply them, and they mean something. Be with us at this time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> On Wednesday nights with the teens, we've been going through the book of Genesis. A series entitled, In the Beginning. We've looked at creation. We've looked at Adam and Eve. We've looked at Cain and Abel. We saw the first murder. We saw how Noah built a big boat and all these animals inside because Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He saved his family and all future generations from the wrath of God in this mighty flood. As of recent, we've been studying the life of Abraham. Currently in our study, we have not come to his name change from Abram to Abraham. So far, he's just Abram. But after God uh, divides the people at the Tower of Babel, God approaches Abram. And he calls Abram out in chapter 12 and tells Abram, come out of his country. God calls Abram and saves him from idolatry and from paganism. God says to Abram, let's go. I'm going to make you the father of many nations. But God did not tell Abram where they were going. He just said, I'm not going to tell you. He says to Abram, let's go. God says, I'll show you where we're going. I'm going to give you step-by-step -step instructions. I'm not going to lay it all out for you. So he didn't argue. He just left and he went. We get to 1 Samuel chapter 16. After the chapter where God rejects Saul as king. So God asked Samuel, how long are you going to mourn for him? I've rejected Saul. He's crossed the line. How long are you going to mourn for him? How long are you going to mourn for Saul? So God tells Samuel, it's time to go. It's time to find my next king. Samuel says, how? How am I going to do this? If Saul finds out, he's going to kill me. God says, grab a heifer. We'll do a sacrifice. Grab a heifer. And that's all he tells him to do. Just go. We're going to do a sacrifice. Grab the heifer and go. But notice what God says in verse number 1 of chapter 16. He says, I have provided me a king. God says, I have provided me a king. You see, you're mourning over here for Saul. 
You're mourning over your will not being met. It's time to go and fulfill my will. You're broken over here for Saul when we need to get moving, we need to go, we need to find this next king. See, a lot of times we act like God needs help with his plans. God's moving in this direction, but surely he needs to move in this direction. But God has provided himself a king. Here we see a divine plan from a divine God. God has provided himself a king. God's provision is self-provided. We have no record of God going, okay, Samuel, pull up a chair. We need to have, I need your counsel on this. I need you to consult me on the next king of Israel. I need your wisdom and your guidance. We don't see that. A lot of times we like to help God along, and we like to give God counsel. We like to tell God our opinion and what we think he ought to do. Sometimes our prayers can be that way. We pray to God, God, will you, will you do this? Will you work in this direction? This is the way I, th I think things ought to go. But God says, I have provided me a king. Samuel, I just needed you to do what you're told. I need you to grab the heifer and go. I'll give you step-by-step -step instructions, but you're not going to know the whole thing yet. How many times has God asked us to do something? And the step-by-step -step instructions just aren't good enough for us. We want to know everything up front. I used to work at Sears, and I was the manager for the, uh, the receiving department. And it was our job to count inventory, make sure everything was in its place. <clears throat> so if you looked on the computer, you knew exactly where to go to find the item. One of our job, uh, in our job description, was to build treadmills, tractors, ellipticals. Things to put on display out on the sales floor. So we're building this treadmill. And the first thing we say is, where's the directions? Where's the instructions? You don't look at the front of the book. Okay, now I know how to put it together because I see this picture of the completed product. It doesn't work that way. You go through step number one, open box. Step number two, set the foundation on the floor, whatever it was. But you have step-by-step -step instructions. If you try to rush to the end, you're not going to put it together very well. You're probably not going to have any success. God gives us step-by-step -step instructions. He doesn't lay it all out for us. God, I know you've given us the Great Commission. I know I'm called to do more than what I'm doing. I know you've called me to give to missions, I, but where's the funds going to come from? I know you've called me to soul win. I know you've told me to come uh, to church at 5.15 on Wednesday night for outreach. See, a lot of times we like generalize everything. Okay, we have the Great Commission, we go to church, we do our thing, that's it. We get in a problem when God tells us specifically what to do. And the spirit that indwells us, indwells the believer, puts it on your heart to go talk to this person about God. Or God puts it on your heart to get involved in this ministry. Or God puts it on your heart to be more involved, do more than what you're doing, to stretch your faith a little bit. God talks to us specifically, and he prompts us, and he tells us what he wants us to do. It's fine in a general sense, you know, we're the, we're the church, we're serving the community, we do this. What about you specifically? What is God calling you to do?
We're not too different from Saul. We're not too different from Samuel. Not too different from David. All human beings. Samuel was, was experiencing fear. Saul's going to kill me. If he finds out what I'm doing, he was experiencing fear. He's about to experience doubt. So Samuel puts aside his fear, and he heads to Bethlehem. When he gets there, the elders of the town approach him, and they probably have to, were experiencing some fear of their own. They're like, Samuel, do you come peaceably? Do you come in peace? Samuel's like, yeah, I, I come in peace. Matter of fact, we're going to do a sacrifice. We're going to do a sacrifice, so sanctify yourselves and come meet me with the sacrifice. So as Samuel sacrificed Jesse and his sons, told them to come with him to the sacrifice. After they got there, Samuel looked at Jesse's son, and we'll look at verse number six. Or look at verse number six. came to pass, when they were come, that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. He looks at the oldest son of Jesse, Eliab, he says, Certainly this is the one. I mean, surely this is the next king of Israel. Surely this is the one I'm supposed to anoint. Look at that stature. Look at that countenance. He's tall. He just looks like a leader. He just looks like the next king. He sees Eliab standing there. Surely this is the next king. I can see why God brought me here, to find this guy, to find Eliab, the next king of Israel. But look at verse number 7. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance, or on his height of stature, because I have refused him. I have rejected him. This is not the one. This is not the king that's going to lead Israel. This is not the next king. Don't anoint this one. You and I often operate with the same mindset as Samuel. One of the, thing, the things I love seeing is when God takes our understanding and he just illuminates it. He just irradiates a beam of understanding and stretches us, stretches our knowledge of who he is. Something we wouldn't know unless we acted with human understanding. See, God doesn't always work in ways that we understand. He often doesn't work in ways that we think he should. In Isaiah chapter 55, verse number 9, it says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God is not limited to our way of thinking. He's not limited to our design. He's not limited to our experience or our knowledge. He isn't limited by anything because he's God. See, a lot of times we like to put God in a box, but that never works. Because God works in ways that are beyond human comprehension. God works in ways that are beyond our human comprehension. Because he's not like us. He's not human. He's God. Surely this is he. Surely Iliab will be the next king. Just look at that countenance. Look at his stature. He just looks like a leader. But God says, no. Don't look at his countenance. Don't look at the stature. And we prejudge things and people due to God being in our box of understanding. And a lot of times we think, how can God work like that? How can God use somebody like that? 
They're not the smartest. They're not the most spiritual. They kind of have a rough countenance. How can God use somebody like Donald Trump? How can God use somebody? Two times divorce on his third marriage? Have you heard the things he said? Have you heard the way he talks? How can God use somebody like that? How could God use Samson, who was caught with a prostitute twice when God came to meet him? How can God use David, the one we're talking about today, in the future he's going to commit adultery and murder? How could God use somebody like that? How could God use Solomon with all of his wives and his concubines? How could God use Paul? who was a murderer, who hated Christians and persecuted them before his salvation, but then went on to be one of the greatest church planners of the Bible. How could God use somebody like that? God could use Joe Biden if he wanted to, because he's God. He does not work on your timetable. He doesn't work off based off your experiences or your knowledge of who he is. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, how could God use somebody like me? I've thought that before more than once. How could God use somebody like me? Knowing what I know about myself, how could God use me? But if we were to fast forward one chapter in David's life, we'd see David facing Goliath, this giant, the entire Israelite army cowering in fear. And then David walks up and interrupts everything, like David does, but he walks up and he has provisions for his family, for his brothers, sent by his father. And as Goliath came out there to slander God and to talk about the Israelite army, and David hears it. He goes up to Saul and he says, Saul, you hear what this guy's saying? Do you hear what this guy is saying about our God? Why are we not doing anything about this? He came out of the field, and he called them dogs. Who's going to fight me? So David walks up, has nothing but a sling, his staff, and five smooth stones. He walks up and takes on this giant. Takes on this giant who's going to fight him. And I can just imagine the Israelite army standing back there seeing David about to commit suicide, just taking their helmets off in respect David's about to give his life for his country. He's about to get crushed. He's ant against an anteater. He's about to get crushed by this nine-foot giant. David takes his sling and his stone, and he flings it up in the air and hits him right in the head. Kills him. I'm sure that stretched their faith. A little boy came up to Jesus and gave him five loaves of bread and two fishes. I'm sure the disciples were standing there thinking, this is really cute and all. Well, this is kind of serious. Jesus told us to feed these people. And this kid, it's, it's cute, really. I mean, but we have a serious problem. We have over 5,000 people we need to, need to feed here. And Jesus says, give it to me. And they're like, oh, okay. So they give it to them. And what does Jesus do? He breaks it. He prays. He blesses it and feeds over 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fishes. And they have 12 baskets left over. And I'm sure that God just busted out of the box. 
busted out of the boxes of the disciples. What they thought they knew about God, not so much. I don't know how God can use me. That was such a long time ago. Is that really relevant today? It was a different time. But the God who empowered David to kill the giant is the same God that opened the blind eyes, same God that opened the deaf ears, same God that turned the water into wine. He's the same God that died on the cross, same God that resurrected himself from the dead. He's the same God that empowers believers today. Same God that empowers the believers in our generation, in this church, and still wants to do that. God has not changed, but people often do. God doesn't change. People change. And God is still calling people into his army. He's still calling people into his service. If you're here today and you're breathing, then you qualify. You don't have to have a certain status. You don't have to have a certain number in your bank account, or a lot of us wouldn't be able to serve. You don't have to have a certain status. So why don't we just stop wasting time and comparing ourselves to what we don't have, comparing ourselves to other people, comparing ourselves to so-and-so. Well, how can God use me? Look at so-and-so. They have so much talent. They can sing so well. They can preach so well. They can talk so well. They just look the part. They know all the right things to say. Look at that countenance. Surely God's going to use that person. I wore my favorite suit today. I really like this suit. I don't know why. I like dark gray. I like blue and I like dark gray. I like the dark gray suits. I like red, blue, brown accents. Today I got the brown accents going on. And I'm, I try to look the part, I'm telling you. A lot of us try and look the part. But God isn't limited by those who could look the part. God isn't calling us to look the part. God isn't calling us to have this outward countenance. That's not what God is calling us to do. Verse number 7, he rejects Eliab, the oldest son. He might have been the tallest. He might have been the smartest. He might have been Jesse's favorite son. But even Samuel thought he was the one. The prophet thought that this was the one. Certainly, the God's, it's bef- surely the one is before him. Verse number, verse number 6. Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Surely this is the guy. Verse number 7. No, I've rejected him. Don't look at his countenance. Don't look at his stature. In other words, there's another that I have provided for this task. There's another one that I want to fill the position of king. There's another one that I want to use to represent me to the children of Israel. God says, nope, not that one. They all keep passing by. Nope. Not that one. And all seven of his sons, excluding David, went and passed by the prophet Samuel. So he's like, is this, is this it? Is this all your sons? Is this all your children? He says, well, the runt, he's in the field. The youngest is in the field with the sheep. I mean, we didn't even bother bringing him because, like, surely you're not going to pick him. He's the youngest one. 
We were so confident that he was not going to be chosen. Matter of fact, we said, David, you just tend to the sheep because we have some important, important business to take care of with the prophet. They told him not even to come. Don't bother. Well, Samuel says, go get him. Verse 11, he says, go get him. And Samuel said unto Jesse, are these all thy children? And he said, there remaineth yet the youngest. And behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, send and fetch him. For we will not sit down till he come hither. We're not even going to sit down until he gets here. Go and get him. The Bible says that he was ruddy in verse number 12. The Bible uses the same word to describe Esau in Genesis 27. It means like a like reddish. Some people called him cherry-cheeked. He was, uh, best if I could tell, an outdoorsman. Esau was a hunter, and uh, David was a shepherd. Guys that were used to working with their hands, being outside. So they go get David from this uh, field, and they bring David into the prophet. And I don't know what they're thinking at the time. I don't know why we're doing this. It's a waste of time. I'm just kind of speculating here. wonder if we're going through my mind. If it was me, it's like we're wasting our time. Let's go, David. The prophet wants to meet you. He comes in probably dirty from the field, probably short, maybe a runt. But as David stood there in front of Samuel, I can't help but wonder what Jesse and David's brothers were thinking. Well, he didn't pick any of us. What makes you think he's going to pick David? No, not David. Because David is standing in front of Samuel. And Samuel says something very interesting. In verse number 12, And he sent and brought him in, and he was ruddy, and with all a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And right away the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. And jaws hit the floor. People were taken back. The boxes were bursted open. David? Out of all of us, he picks David? We're talking about Israel here. We're talking about being the anointed king of Israel, and he's picking David. But you've got to remember, his brothers are there. They originally called the elders of the city there. Can you imagine the chatter that is going on, the disbelief? Are you seeing the same thing that I'm seeing? David, our, our little brother, we were just giving him swirlies last week. He is now anointed as king of Israel, the future king of Israel. Nobody saw it coming, including Samuel the prophet. Even preachers get it wrong sometimes. Even preachers need to get worked on. But that's because God uses those that man would not choose. God doesn't, God doesn't use your first pick. That's why you don't call people to salvation. Certainly that person isn't going to want to hear what I have to say. Just look at them. They're ready. They've got this weird countenance about them. They look like they could just rip me in half. They don't want to hear anything I have to say. That's why you don't call people into the ministry. This person's not the smartest. They're not the top of their class. I certainly wasn't the top of my class. I'd be the first, the first to tell you that. I not, was not the top of my class. I was not the smartest person in class. We didn't like the smartest guys in our class because they made the rest of us look bad. Maybe not the most eloquent speaker. 
Not the best singer. Not the best at what I do. But for some reason, God picked me and called me into his service, called me into his army. God doesn't usually seek your counsel when he comes to choosing who he's going to use and how he's going to use them. Because he's provided himself a king. He does the choosing. He does the providing. Notice he says, I have provided me a king. I've already chosen. I've already picked it out. I just need you to go and get him. I've made the decision. My mind is made up. It's not up for discussion. I need you to go and get him. God does the choosing. He does the decision making. And here's why. God doesn't go by the outward appearance. You can look the part, but how's your heart? You might be sitting there and you've been saved for years, so you know full well how God works because he's in your box. You understand. This is how God works. This is why God works. This is who God uses. This is your box of understanding. Maybe you're sitting there and you've just been recently saved. A couple years, a couple months, a couple days. Think, I don't know how God could use someone like me. I don't know how God could use any of us. God could call someone in this church to do something that will cause your jaw to drop. That's how God works. God likes to come along and bust out of our boxes. Change the way we think. Burst our bubbles, however you want to say it. Maybe not even whether God is calling them or not, but how much God is going to use them. Because God uses those kinds of people to do just that. God can use anybody, and that's the point. He wants to use anybody. Because he wants all the glory to go to himself. We'll look at that person, their stature, their countenance. They're such an elegant speaker, such a great singer. They can teach well. They know how to look the part. They know all the right things to say. They know all the right things to do. God wants to use people that are willing. Because God looks on the heart. He doesn't look on the outward appearance. One of the things that bugs me is when churches are so concerned with who's going to fill the pulpit based on a person's education. They didn't have Bible colleges when Paul was called to preach. When the disciples were called to pastor, they didn't go through Bible college. That pattern continued for a long time. Men trained in the church. I know men now, in my mind, that have been trained with a pastor in a church to fill a pastoral position. Maybe you're sitting there, you haven't been saved very long, and you're thinking, God can't use me. I could never be like so-and-so. Good, because God didn't call you to be like so-and-so. He called you to be like his son, Jesus Christ. And if we rely on Christ, our heart will be what it is supposed to be in order for God to use us. I have a mountain of mistakes. Who doesn't? Abraham. Samson, David, Solomon, Paul, we could name many, many more that God used in spite of their mistakes. 
Now, none of the things that I've mentioned tonight are bad. Having a good countenance is not a bad thing. Being tall is not a bad thing because that's how God made you. Having money isn't a bad thing. Having an education isn't a bad thing. As a matter of fact, it's a good thing. Being talented is a good thing. So I'm not saying that any of those things are bad or wrong because they're not. So what am I saying? What I'm saying is don't keep God in a box. You cannot limit God. That is impossible. But you can limit your understanding of God, how he works. God likes to go through and he likes to interrupt our way of thinking. Because he wants us to think more along the lines of this. His word. He wants us to be more like his son. Don't put God in a box. Because if you put God in a box, he's going to do something that is contrary to the way you think and just blow you away. But it goes with having a pure heart. A heart that is willing to be used by God. You don't have to look the part. You don't have to be perfect. No one's perfect, just in case you didn't know that. No one sitting here is perfect. None of us are. But God has called us to be holy. Be holy, for I am holy. That's the commandment he gave to all of us. So how's your heart this morning? Are you relying on God? Are you letting his ways determine the way you think, how you operate? Are you willing to be used? God has called you specifically to do something that he has not called anyone else to do. He has called you to fulfill your purpose in your life. What, I, what that looks like, I don't know. I can only know what it looks like for me, and I can follow him step by step as the rest of us need to. Whatever God's calling you to do, don't put him in a box, because he's going to come along, and he's going to bust right out of that. Let's pray. Our Father, we're thankful for the opportunity to gather today. We ask that you would bless the remainder of the service, that we would take what we've heard tonight, not because it was spoken by anyone, but because it's your word and because... You want it to go forward. You want it to infiltrate our hearts. You want us to learn to rely on you. Because as long as you get the glory, that's all that matters. As long as you are glorified and lifted up in our hearts, in our church, that's what matters. So God, help us today. Empty us of ourselves. Fill us with the Spirit. Help us to walk in it. Help us to apply the truths of your word in our lives, not just today, but tomorrow and the next day and the next day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening today. For more information about Grace Baptist Church, please visit our website at gracebaptistofkettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.